0: The Sober Highway Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Brainwashed Coffee Company. We all know how important coffee is to the recovery community, but what's even more important is that Brainwashed Coffee Company donates 50% of its proceeds to people in addiction recovery. Visit brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use the promo code SOBERHIGHWAY at checkout for 20% off your coffee order. What better way to support people in addiction recovery than with a great bag or bundle of brainwashed coffee? Brainwashed Coffee Company. Simple coffee for complicated people. We are also brought to you by our sponsor, Foo Kit Clothing. Foo Kit is an inspirational brand with a mission to inspire and motivate people to live life without regret and accept challenges that are worth the risk. Visit the link in the episode description and use the promo code SOBERHIGHWAY at checkout for a discount on your order. I'm actually wearing one of their hats right now as I'm recording this episode. Again, check out Foo Kit Clothing at the link in the episode bio and help support an amazing brand bringing awareness to mental health issues and suicide. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. Today is Tuesday, April 20th, 2021, and this is episode 18 of the Sober Highway Podcast. Today, we will be talking to Katherine Bennett. She is a nationally ranked competitive strongwoman, and she's actually the current Utah's Strongest Woman title holder. She deadlifted 475 pounds at the age of 35. I don't know how else to say this, but she is an absolute beast. Stay tuned for an amazing discussion about her recovery journey. You really won't want to miss this one. All right, get ready, get set, and let's go. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Dan.
1: And my name is Anika.
0: And welcome to the Sober Highway Podcast. We are two young social workers who have dedicated our lives and careers to affecting change in the addiction recovery community.
1: We want to use this podcast as a platform to take the things we have learned over the course of our careers and share it with our listeners.
0: At the end of the day, we hope to inspire as many people as we can to make a change and live a lifestyle free of drugs and alcohol.
1: So sit back
0: relax and enjoy have you spent your entire life like out there in the in the country like in Colorado or no. Utah and stuff like that
2: no get excited for this i'm a military brat so i grew up in japan okay um yeah and moving all over the place. Um my, in my adult life I lived in San Antonio, Denver, Salt Lake, New Orleans. Like this is the first rural community other than a small ski town that I lived in for a year after college um that I've lived lived in as an adult. So okay. the challenges the like the social challenges are a little bit different here than in mm-hmm. the city. Um especially during a pandemic, but um yeah, I I but I love it out here. I love the western ethos of like independence and get it done. But it's also, mm. uh, it's also very mentally challenging here in mm. my county. We are one of the top suicide rates in the nation because of that, um, Western independence. The people in other communities and cities tend to rely on each other more, but here we especially have a lot of men who, who, who complete suicide. So we mm. have special initiatives around that.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I remember reading something, Anika, maybe you would agree, but one of the things that I learned as I don't, as like as part of my training, is that men, men are actually more successful or actually complete suicide, um, but women actually attempt more often.
1: Yeah, that's what the research does show. Mm hmm. Um, and, and again, there are certain, like, criteria, like, that, like, make it more likely that somebody will attempt or complete suicide, right? So, like, there's certain red flags to look out for. And I'm sure, like you said, there's a lot of initiatives by you. So, mm-hmm. like, I'm sure they're obviously well-versed in in that. And how to look out for some of that is really destigmatizing the whole thing, though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay to get help. And you're not alone. And, you know, you don't always have to feel this way.
0: Absolutely.
2: Well, in talking about things like so, my background is in um, my, I have a master's degree in public, in public health, social and behavioral health, which is um, interesting that I couldn't solve my own sobriety problem with that mm-hmm. level of education. I needed the needed the program, and I needed you know other support. Um, but it's been it's been interesting to see the way in which that we've been attacking some of those mental health initiatives, and I think it's a combination of 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 isolation and independence, right, mm-hmm. combined with access to firearms and. Um, and uh, lack of community support, and a fragile economy. So mm-hmm. we have oil booms and busts. Anyway, uh, so like, you want to talk about? So, so I don't know. Can we talk about the program? Is that like part of what we're? You talk about whatever, yeah, you, whatever, whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, because Grand Junction, where I lived, which is about an hour and a half west of where I am now, has like, <laughs> like twenty AA meetings a day, and there's a hundred thousand people that live there. So you can see the and and probably like probably ten five or 10 NA meetings a day. So addiction's a big problem out in this part of the world.
0: Absolutely. I can totally.
1: And I'm just curious, like, I guess, is, is alcohol like one of the main things or is it like drugs? Cause like out here on Long Island, like typically you see alcohol, opiates, um,
0: those are the main two. I noticed a lot of Xanax as well. Um, and then in the city, like in, in Manhattan, it's mostly alcohol uh, a lot of K two, and um, I've noticed a lot of crack and PCP.
2: Well, no, y'all are much more sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> you will have more money. Yeah, <laughs> you're a, you're a pinky over the air. But you're mm-hmm. much more sophisticated. We have um, a, a Junction, and I live on the I seventy, um, and along this traffic, like this this major roadway, lots of meth. Um, lots yeah. of, that's lots like really big opium. in the West coast, right? And like, yeah.
1: That's yeah.
2: So we don't have access to the same, to the same designer. I mean, that what you're describing to me strikes me as like designer stuff, like Coke isn't a thing out here. Um, but it's, but the sobriety community out here, um, is, is a little bit, is really robust because of that, you know, we've had to build a really strong infrastructure. I'm so grateful that I got sober in a place that had, you know, 20 meetings a day and with a hundred thousand people so that I could actually, you know, access the resources I need. So yeah, with,
1: with 20 meetings a day, I mean, we were basically guaranteed to be able to hit a meeting in, in any given day, right? Like at any yeah. time
2: or three, and
1: I mean, you know, <laughs>
0: yeah. And especially now during COVID, like there's more like virtual meetings now than there ever were so even if you're you know no matter where you are in the world if you want to catch a meeting somewhere you can yeah yeah and there's always there's always someone willing to help
2: it's that's the wonderful part about about what's going on right now with opening opening up and democratizing it and i do think there's an advantage to having in-person connection like I mm-hmm. don't envy, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see epidemiologically how everything washes out after this, because people are talking about, like a lot of my friends are coming to me in confidence and a lot of colleagues that I don't really know all that much. And they know that mm-hmm. I'm sober and they're like, Hey, uh, I think I have a problem. Like mm-hmm. it's COVID, the isolation, this isn't going well. Like, what do you recommend starting with? And I'm like, wow. So just being out there about my sobriety has been really empowering and helpful in my life.
0: That's pretty yeah. cool. I didn't even yeah. think of it like that. I mean I I uh the, the, the program that I used to work at actually before after I left, I actually spoke with a friend of mine who's still working there and they they told me that they had to stop taking new patients because they were so understaffed that they couldn't they didn't want the therapist to be burned out. Which well that's I, nice
1: of them. Most places don't do that. Oh,
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I mean <laughs> I mean, and we like our our office was located um, in a, I guess, in a fairly low income part of Nassau County. Um, So Anika, we were in Valley Stream, right by the Green Acres Mall. Okay. So it's I grew up over there. Okay. So so you kind of know what the what the climate is like over there, and so there's a lot of people that were looking to come to treatment, and we just they just they just can't accommodate it anymore. They have maybe like. I think like four full-time therapists there and they're all pushing caseloads of like 40 or 50. So it's, it's, it's bad. It was bad when it was bad when I was there and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm not there anymore.
2: I think that the, I think that what you're saying really speaks to the fact that community solutions have to become part of what we're thinking of in sobriety, whether that's AA, which is part of my story, but it's not for everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, or there are these really—I don't know if you've talked to these folks out in Portland that have what's called mm. the recovery gym. Have you heard of this? No. It's a CrossFit. I'm write box. that down. It's a CrossFit box that is staffed with uh, licensed addiction counselors, and they take everybody around and they compete and they promote sobriety within fitness, which is very much something I'm interested in, you know, pursuing as well.
0: You're talking and about all, Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine. Not Portland, Maine. Yeah. Okay.
2: And so they out there, and then there are two communities in Denver, one of which is like Phoenix, the Phoenix fitness community. So a lot, so there are all these opportunities for us to engage as a sober community. Those who have, of us who have some time under our belts mm-hmm. because therapy is one thing, right? And it's supportive and helpful and you can't always access those resources because of finances and time or whatever else is coming along. So if you can get other sober people to help you, you know, exercise it out. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like exercise and exercise. Um, I think it's, I think it's a really, a really exciting part of of sobriety movement today. And it's not expensive. It's, you know, they offer this as as part of a nonprofit to their communities. So imagine being able to augment your therapeutic relationship with your customer or your client, you know, with something like that.
1: And and it gives people like the community support, right. And like the other sober people to interact with. And then it also working out releases those endorphins, changes the chemicals in your brain. Right. And like, especially in, in early sobriety, like a lot of people, you know, the, they're still adjusting to this new life. And so that could be really beneficial.
0: And I think, and I think that just talking about recovery and talking about addiction and sobriety, like sometimes can just get a little, I don't want to say it can get stale, but like, it's almost like talking about it too much, just it's not good all the time. So like, it's good to have like a different way of, you know, getting, you know, a so like getting together with people in recovery and just doing something to get your mind off of just the stress of everyday life. Yeah.
2: I agree. If we're putting everything in the framework of recovery, that's really useful in those first 90 days, six months when you're, I was squirrely. Somebody asked me on a podcast about a year ago, oh, do you know, what can you you tell me about what my first 90 days is going to be like? And I'm like, I don't remember my first 90 days. Like, I don't remember it. It was such a, it was such a blur and it was so difficult to just hang on every day. Um, But as soon as we start, so, so it was about at the three month mark when I started um, exercising and working out really hard again um in my own story is that okay can we launch into that real quick yeah go ahead cool cool okay so about three months in i i my my former partner and i we decided hey let's start like let's start working out we knew because he quit drinking at the same time i did which was extremely considerate um he didn't have a problem i did um <laughs> do <laughs> and uh, and so he we started lifting together um and then i realized like i knew i had exercised in the past and i knew it made me feel good but then i started lifting really heavy weight and all those little endorphins in my brain started going ding 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 ding, ding. <laughs> like you know all the chemicals that any kind that you were describing they all started like washing over my brain and I was like oh this is a reasonable and healthy way for me to maintain sobriety without have like doing something destructive to my body um mm-hmm. and so for the last three plus years I've been training strongman events so it's I'm a woman the sport is called strongman I get I <laughs> get chastised all the time for not saying I'm a strong woman but I am Sports Mm -hmm. called strongman, Um, and I'm currently Utah's strongest woman for 2020. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I started picking up. I have a goal this this year to uh, deadlift 500 pounds, and I'm about 25 pounds off of my goal. Um, That's
0: awesome.
2: Yeah, so the 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 exercise and the strength and like the the community that you build with that is most athletes can't drink because it'll it it ruins your athletic prowess. Like Mm -hmm. So it's a naturally sober community, even if people don't have a problem with it, which makes it like accepted and you're not the weird one. So I don't know if people know that or not, but if you're an elite athlete, nobody's drinking anyway.
0: That's, that's interesting because like you see all these, like you, you watch on ESPN all the time. Like athletes are getting pulled over for DUI. They're getting like, uh, like you hear those stories about, you know, like Josh Gordon, him, you know, he, he's having that, that issue with marijuana. Um, you guys remember Josh Hamilton, um, he had a really bad cocaine problem. Um, there's, there's tons of other ones. Uh, but it, it's interesting you say that because we hear those stories about professional athletes and I, notice I said
2: elite, not professional. Oh, not okay. true. Fair enough. Il, okay. Because elite amateur athletes, if you're going to the Olympics, okay. Maybe some of those folks have some money, right? But i most of us who are doing this elite weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman, we're not, we don't get money for this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're funding this all through our own pocketbooks. And if we're out blowing half our paycheck on booze every month, we can't afford the equipment or training we need to be successful or the food. Like you want to talk about the food costs that you have when you're an elite powerlifter? Holy cow. It's got to be all organic, lean, this whole thing. Like, no, you, I saved up enough money when I quit drinking to buy a house wow. in 18 months. Like, that's how much I was spending. (laughs) So like, as again, we're all, we're all self, we're all self-funded. Um, -hmm. and we're all like, I don't, yeah, I don't know any, I mean, like maybe like, uh, performance enhancing drugs could be a concern, but aside from that, I don't know anybody who drinks. That's a strong man.
0: What is it? What is it like being like, when you go to these competitions, is it, are there competitions allocated, special, especially just for women, or are you competing with the men?
2: Yeah, it's um it's divided up into by genders and weight class. Okay. So we have um like three or four weight classes depending on the type of organization you're competing with. Okay. Um I compete either heavyweight or super heavyweight. So we're putting we're putting up the big numbers in my in my groups. <laughs> um, okay. but typically the lightweight men or middleweight men have the same weight as the heavyweight or super heavyweight women. Okay.
0: And
2: are there a lot of women that compete? No, which is why I would love to get more people involved in this. A lot of people see us see us out there picking up 500 pounds and walking around with it. And they're like, that is dangerous. But it's not. It's just like with sobriety. One day at a time, one step at a time. You know, I have been doing this over a period of three years. And I'm in my mid-30s. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not new to this game. <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not in my prime anymore. Um, and I'm still kicking ass and having a great time. So I think that, you know, yoga meditation we talk a lot about these calming ways to bring yourself down like mentally and emotionally not bring yourself down but like slow things down a little bit that doesn't work for me that makes it worse for me I need Mm -hmm. something that's that like physically challenges me and helps promote and support those those you know brain chemicals (laughs) Mm -hmm. to release and then and then I'm able to be mentally more uh more alert and more capable of maintaining my sobriety like if I if I didn't exercise um at the beginning of all this, I don't know that I would have been able to stay sober.
0: That's I, you put it as bad. I can't, I don't think I could put that any better to be honest with you.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because like, I know a lot of people, like some people really are, like you said, like into like the, the calm, right. Like the rest and digest, like, let me kind of bring myself down and, and, you know, reduce my anxiety. And then some people are like, let me get motivated. Right. And like, that's the type of person they are. Is like, I need to move. I need to get this excess energy out in some way in order to maintain my sobriety. And so like, there's definitely like lots of ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And I I do see that there is like a subset within the recovery community that I've interacted with throughout the years that like, there are people that are really into fitness and working out and things because it really works for
2: them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the biggest powerlifting gyms, like they've done documentaries on like Westside Barbell and some of these like big, like you have to be able to lift X number of pounds before you can even go in the back room with all the big boys kind of thing. Um, most of the guys, if you watch those documentaries are are opiate addicts who have been taken under a coach's wing and they've been brought into that fold. Like it's a, it's a thread that runs through a lot of these like heavy weightlifting communities. Now you can see people going off the deep end with weightlifting too, like Maybe if you're injured, if you've torn your bicep, maybe you should stop. (laughs) You need to stop and rest and recover. And I think that's a challenge that a lot of us face. Like my foot's broken right now. And I am, um, I'm on the struggle bus because I can't do my normal workout routine. So you can't rely on it entirely. You can't put all your eggs in one basket, but it is a good place to start.
0: Now, is there, is there a difference between like strongman competitions and like, The guys that do like the bodybuilding, like, like Ronnie Coleman and like Jay Cutler and all those guys, like what's the, what's the main difference I would say?
2: Yeah, so Ronnie Coleman's in a class of his own because he's actually a strong bodybuilder,
0: right? Oh, like, okay.
2: so, so okay, so I'm just—he's—he's the—he's the greatest of all time. So we—we, we, uh, so Ronnie Coleman's amazing. Um, most of the—and listen, I'm not saying bodybuilders aren't strong compared to the average person, but pound mm-hmm. for pound against a power lifter, we, like we don't have. Okay, I, I don't have a physical confirmation that's particularly uh, attractive. <laughs> like, I'm kind of built like a square. <laughs> And the point of the point of what we do is functional, whereas the point of what a bodybuilder does is aesthetic. And so they really spend the time on like the extremely restrictive diets, targeting muscles, muscle growth for size as opposed for function. Um, And those are the primary. Those are the primary differences. So like they train to look good. We
0: train to do good. Okay, so what is your what is your training regimen normally look like?
2: yeah so I had been on like a six day a week program which burned me out um but right now I go to the gym four days a week um I do a squat day deadlift day bench day and then a shoulder day um I typically do like uh up to working sets of three so I start with like 10 and then on my big lifts I'll go down to down to sets of three so I'm at about 80 to 90 percent of my max um so I I'm, I'm I'm lifting I'm deadlifting 405 regularly for Damn. sets of 3 to 5. Yeah. Squatting squatting 400.
0: So <sighs> Yeah. I did I did CrossFit for a little while like a couple of years ago and I don't know I don't know how expensive it is to do CrossFit out there. I don't even know what your take on CrossFit is cuz a lot of people don't really like CrossFit. They think it's I don't, I don't know, but the, the, the reason why I stopped doing it was because it got so expensive. Yeah. And um, I remember like one day we were, we, the, the, the strength component of our wad that day was, uh, was, was deadlifting, and they were like, all right, we're going for one, one rep max today. So I was like, okay. And so I just started lifting and, as I was lifting, the guy just kept adding weight. He just kept adding and adding and adding. And I'm like, and I was picking it up. (laughs) And by the end, he was like, by the time I was like really struggling to pick it up, he was like, Dan, you just lifted 320 pounds. And I was like, yeah. Okay. (laughs) I mean, my face was, my face was turning blue, but, um, but it, I was like, I didn't even know I could do that. Um,
2: yeah, and how did that make you feel? Like, tell me it about actually, the power that gave you.
0: It it actually felt really good, um, because I didn't, because I was only doing it for like two or three months at the time. So he was like, "That's the most I've seen anyone lift like that early on into CrossFit." And then as soon as as soon as he said that, the guy next to me just just pulled like 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 four hundred something. And I was just like, oh well. I mean, I had my moment. So, <laughs> um, but what? But what is your take on CrossFit? I mean, like, cause you're 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 a powerlifter, so CrossFit is kind of like powerlifting plus you know cardio and all that other stuff. So, what's your what's your take on it?
2: Yeah, listen, powerlifter and strongman, we're not huge on cardio traditionally. Um, mm-hmm. that's <laughs> but. I think just like anything, if you've got a good coach, Okay, listen, there are bad powerlifting coaches out there. There are bad strongman coaches. There are people that will push you to the point of injury and then continue to train you as though you're not injured. So like that is a phenomenon that's at uh, risk that you take when you're joining a CrossFit box. So what I would say to anybody who's looking to start exercise, I think CrossFit's valid as a training modality. I don't think it's usually employed in the way that we're hoping to see for people to get good results and to not hurt themselves. So if you're starting a new training modality or starting a new exercise program, thoroughly vet the people who are leading the the charge. Uh, Make sure those people don't just have CrossFit certs, that they also maybe have a degree in exercise physiology or have spent time training other athletes. Like Take a look at their background, do a couple test classes. If your body doesn't feel like it's responding well to that, maybe choose another discipline. But I, I think CrossFit has validity. I think a lot of people just like like there's a lot of bad coaches in all kinds of disciplines, so you can't you mm-hmm. can't throw out the baby with the bathwater.
0: Yeah, I uh, I'll tell you another funny story. Um, when I went, uh, I think this was like a couple years ago when I was still doing CrossFit. I was I went to go visit my cousin in Miami. And one of the things I wanted to do while I was there, because she was working during the during the day, we would only have be able to see each other at night. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna find a CrossFit gym in Miami and I'm gonna go and like take a class. And the only the only uh CrossFit gym I could find was on South Beach. So oh. <laughs> yeah, so so it's like that's like one of the Reebok, like official CrossFit gyms. So like, this is like the real deal. And so I left, I left for that class, maybe like an hour before it was supposed to start. I was 10 minutes late. I basically missed the, I missed like the stretching part of the, of the, uh, of the class. So, You know, one of the coaches helped me stretch like while everyone else was working out. And let me tell you, like everybody was everybody was RXing this workout. There was nobody scaling it. I was the only person, like everybody was doing pull ups. And I was like, Do you guys have a box? You have a box that I could use? And they were like, What? And I'm like, Yeah, I need a box. And they were like, but you're six feet tall. And I'm like, okay, and I still need a box. Like, look at me. And they only had like, like a 12 inch box. So I was like, how am I supposed to pull myself up over this bar? They're like, Oh, well you could just jump and pull yourself up. I'm like, all right, thanks. (laughs) And so I can totally (laughs) imagine this too. and, 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 and there were like 40, 50 people in this class. So I was sticking out like a sore thumb and I made it through the workout barely. And I was talking to the, the, the coach because I wanted to buy like a shirt or a hat or something. And mm-hmm. they were like, so where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from Long Island. You know, I do CrossFit back home. And they're like, well, how big is your box? And I didn't know that box meant gym. So I said, what do you mean box? And they're like, well, how big is your gym? Like how many people do you normally have in a class?
2: Mm-hmm. And the
0: gym that I was going to at the time only had like seven or eight people in a class. So they were like, mm-hmm. when I told them, she was like, how big is the gym? Like, like, is it like, is it like in a storefront or something? Mm-hmm. And it, it basically was, but like, I just was so intimidated by these people down in South beach that, um, I, I don't know. It, it was the, thank God the class was free.
2: Um, <laughs> well, Cause I would I,
0: never go back there again.
1: So, so I have a question. So people that are kind of intimidated, right? Like, what advice would you give them? Because I think that like, that's totally me. Like I'm intimidated by like a lot of things and like,
2: Sure, sure. Um, okay. Women specifically. Okay. Most women who do this sport are not here to be jerks. We're here because we love what we do. So if you see a woman picking up a ton of weight at a gym, wait until she's done with her set Go over and introduce yourself. Say that you're new, and like 99.9% of the time, that woman is going to be like stoked that you're there. Not necessarily coach you, but will like encourage you. Like there are like five ladies that go to my that go to my muscle gym right now. That every time I see them, if like if I don't see them at the gym for a while, I'm texting and be like, where, "Where are you? What's happening?" Because like I, at this point, I'm kind of an elder statesman of the gym. Like I'm old. I'm physically older, right? And I've been there for a long time. When I see someone new come in who doesn't like they kind of look around, they don't know what they're doing, it's my job it's not my job. It's part of my personal mandate as a human to like make sure they feel comfortable and know what they're doing um i don't I can't speak to whether or not that's the case with men. Um, I think honestly, the best step you can take if you've got the opportunity to like if your gym offers free personal training sessions so you can learn how to use the equipment particularly learn how to use the free weights properly like just get like 10 exercises under your belt then you can go in and even if you're doing light weights at least you know you're doing it right so invest the time to work with a trainer for like a month you know don't don't eat out that month or do, you set aside some extra money um I know that's not a possibility for everyone, but a lot of gyms do offer those free initial training system sessions. Avail yourself of those. And confidence comes with time. Like when I showed up and I was doing like barbell or you know, dumbbell curls, or like I couldn't pick up, I couldn't pick up hardly anything. Um I was extremely intimidated, right? But there were like three very kind people who kept encouraging me to keep going. And without them, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the same experience as I do today. So um, just believe it. Like most of us aren't there to be jerks. Most of us are there to either just work out on our own or we're happy to encourage other people.
0: I think that was, I think that was one of the reasons why I enjoyed that CrossFit gym so much was because everybody, because it was so small, it was, it it was very much like a family. And like, I got very close with the people that were in that 6am class with me. And, you know, I would, talk to the people that were in the 5 a.m. class. They were leaving when I was coming in, and I would talk to the 7 o'clock people as they were coming in. And, you know, they they reach out to me every once in a while to try to get me to come back, but um, which, which I can't fault them for because they're trying to run a business. But, um, you know, the only reason why I quit that gym was was because of the money. Had yeah. money not been an issue, I'd probably still be there now.
2: I think a big part of it, like, if you think about being intimidated, even, okay, a lot of us, the first time we try to get sober, the first time we go into a meeting, like, everybody, if, if people are listening to this, and they're walking into their first AA meeting, holy shit, like, it's okay if I curse on this? Yes. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> oh, shit, it was a terrifying day. Like, I walked into this all-women's meeting, and I was like, this is the first day in how many years that I've not had a drink, and I'm, like, sweating bullets. And these women were kind and supportive, and they gave me like this little packet, and they forced coffee into me, and then like hit me on the back a couple times, and I was like, "Go forth and conquer." Um, And it's the same, so it's the same thing. But really, when it comes to fitness, it's the same thing as with sobriety. Like you have to decide that your want your your desire to change is more important than your fear of the unknown. Because I didn't know what it was like to live a life that was sober. Like I'd tried before, but I was like, oh, this is going to suck. <laughs> but it turns mm. out it doesn't suck at all. It's much better and it's not easier, but it's way more gratifying. Same thing with working out. Like you take those first few steps and then you suddenly, three years later, you wake up and you're, you know, a nationally ranked person if you want to be, um, if you work hard enough, it's, it, it all, it's a really close parallel. Yeah.
0: That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs>
1: And so, can I kind of like ask you, like, what is your your recovery story? Like, how did you get into recovery? I know you said you started, like, you know, p- powerlifting, you know, pretty soon into your recovery, early in your recovery, as kind of a healthy coping mechanism and a way to keep yourself busy, and be around sober people.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started drinking when I was um, sixteen. Um, I'd always had a lot of uh, a lot of anxiety and a lot of feeling like I didn't belong. Right. Um, which I think is extremely like a very common theme among folks who are addicts and, you know, drinkers and alcoholics and this whole, this whole bit. So uh, I went off, to, I went off to college really early. I graduated high school when I was 15 um, because I'm, oh, I'm, wow. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a brain. Yeah. And so so I, I went off to, I went off to college and uh, discovered these things of these fraternity parties and oh goodness, wow, this is a lot of fun. I can get, I can get drunk and forget, you know, what's going on. Um, during, I, I did have a small period of sobriety, maybe two or three years in college where I was like, wow, if I don't stop drinking, I'm probably going to fail out. But then um, then I got out and uh, started living in ski towns and uh, just kind of ski in my way across the U.S. for like for like five years after college. I had, I had professional jobs, but um, it was a lot of partying, you know, just a, and, and nothing really ever stronger than like pot and alcohol, but uh, a lot of those too. And then I, uh, so I kind of bounced around between careers, couldn't find the right thing. I was a chemist for a while. I actually worked at the US Anti-Doping Agency steroid testing lab in Utah, Wow, which was kind of hilarious. I answered a newspaper ad for that, if you can believe it. Mm. Yeah.
0: Did you, did you watch, speaking of anti-doping, did you watch that documentary on Netflix called Icarus about the whole Russian anti-doping thing? Wasn't that amazing? That's a great, I love that. I love that. That was really good i think
2: my lab was involved in that somehow after i left
0: like oh good thank god you weren't there yeah. when that happened oh my god yeah. <laughs> that would have been crazy
2: so um so anyway so i was there um and then what else so okay so i went off to grad school and then I started drinking really heavily because I thought grad school, okay, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to be rude when I say this. I thought that grad school was going to be extremely rigorous and challenging. It was going to put me to the test. Like I wanted a crucible. I wanted to emerge hardened and like, you know, battle scarred. Of like, oh, I have a graduate degree. For and me, it, it was like exactly what true. you
0: said.
2: I, maybe my program just wasn't the same. I was, so, mm-hmm. I was so disappointed at how it did not test my metal in the way I was hoping. So I, was, I despaired. And then I started drinking even more. So I chose an apartment that was close to the bar so I could stumble home in the night and not, you know, not worry about it. And then it just kept escalating and escalating and escalating. Everyone's like, oh, I think you have a drinking problem. Like three people said this to me. One one guy that I worked at was the, at the lab. he, One of my early 20s, he goes to me, he's like, you know, um, you know, I'm in the program of AA. And I was like, he would talk to me all about it with all this stuff. And I was like, wow, if he's coming to me for help, <laughs> not that he was he was trying to get me to come with him to a meeting and you were that (laughs) delusional right that you thought that that, like I'm going to help him he's he's coming to me because he trusts me to help him like oh my gosh come on that happened on several occasions and then so over the years you know messed up relationships divorces all this stuff and then finally I ended up working at a a psych hospital out in uh western Colorado here called Mind Springs and um Talk about the blind leading the blind. I was going home and getting ripped every night and then coming back and doing art and activities with the patients. Like, (laughs) this is not a great situation. There was a guy named Bill who would bring an AA meeting into the psych hospital every week. So I got to know Bill and I was like, oh, Bill's just a cool dude. And then he kept sharing his sobriety story with me and I would just sit in on his meetings because I was like, I don't want to go home yet. I'll just, I'll hang out with the patients because these people are cool and I'm going to listen to Bill's meeting. And I just kind of, you know, lollygagged at the end of my day. And then there was a day that came that something very upsetting happened to me, um, and, I, and I kind of drank myself into a stupor, and I woke in the morning, and I was like, hey, maybe Bill has a point. Maybe I need to try to go to a meeting. Um, and the thing is that there were three, this is why I'm so open with this in my professional career, is that there are, th- there are three men who worked with me, who told me about AA, and I didn't listen to the first two but they influenced me. And then the third one, Bill, was the one that finally it all clicked. These people talk to me about this at work, which is where we don't often think about somebody intervening with you. It's like, oh, it's unprofessional to talk about that. But somebody saw me having a problem on the job and they were like, hey, have you thought about the program of AA? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and so, and so um, you know, after that very upsetting event, I just, I kind of crawled into, I crawled into a meeting and I was like, well, this is the last thing. Cause I've tried antidepressants. I tried anti-anxiety. I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. All that shit went away when I stopped drinking, like all my mental health problems, like cleared up within six months. I mean, I still have issues, but they're not like they were. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I think that was, it just finally got to a boiling point. You know, you hit that rock bottom and it's like, there's nothing else to try. Like I have, I've, I've literally done everything else I can. And if I don't, if I stop drinking and it doesn't help, I guess, you know, at least I'll be sober and miserable. I'll be, I'll have more money. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. So that's, that's it in a nutshell.
0: So what would you say, what type of advice would you give to someone who is, you know, thinking about getting sober, you know, maybe in the position where you were right before you started, you made that decision to get sober. What would you say to them?
2: Yeah, well, I think first of all, it has to be bad enough that you really want to get help. Because you can try to, you can try to get sober if things aren't really bad. But like, I looked at my life and I saw two paths and that was it. Drink and die or don't drink and maybe not die. So really what I would, so this sounds grim, but you have to decide whether or not you want to live. And that's an important, if you're not at that point yet, maybe like go out and do some more field research. I don't want to say that, but like, um, if you're not at that point yet, like figure out what it's going to take to get you to that point. Mm-hmm. Talk to friends and family, do some research, take a, you know, do a test run and see if sobriety seems like it'll work for you. Um, but really, I think it just comes down to making that decision of, yes, I want to live and yes, I see a future for myself. And if you don't want to live and you don't see a future for yourself, that's a whole different intervention that I think we have to have. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that mental health professionals can really, really support a lot of the better decision making that can come along with that. Um, also, also, find a community. It can be like a community. Like, Okay, one of the best communities that I know for this type of thing is the armored combat people. Like, you know those guys at Renaissance fairs who wear the armors and, like, bash the snot out of each other with blunted oh, yeah. swords? Mm-hmm. Okay, They call them lar- guys-
0: LARPing. LARPing, right? Is that what
2: they call no, it? no, no, no. This is to- like LARPing is like throwing tennis balls and stuff and be like on wizard robes and shit. No, this is like <laughs> full-on plate armor with a like big sword, like actual like athletic. It's super athletic. And they just smash the hell out of each other. So listen, they're like strong nerds. And a lot of them are sober. <laughs> okay. So like if, if there are strong, sober nerds, there are strong, there are sober jocks, there are sober artists, there are sober Musicians like all of find the community of people that you want to be like and move towards them. You know what I mean?
0: I mean, like, and don't it doesn't, worry. It doesn't even yeah. have like the one of the things I'll say. Maybe you'll agree is that it doesn't even have to be a sober community. It could just be a community of people that share a similar interest to yours. Like for example, mm-hmm. like archery is one of my main hobbies. I talked about it in one of our previous episodes. Like when I used to go to my Tuesday night league, like I used to love going there and just hanging out with all the guys and girls there and just talking about our lives and like what's going on and talking about our families and what we're doing at work and stuff like that. And like when we didn't see someone there for a couple of weeks, we, you know, when we'd finally get them back, we'd be like, Hey, what happened? Like, where'd you go? We missed you. So like, whether it's a sober community, whether it's your Tuesday night archery league or you know, paint night or you know like that that dynamic is still gonna be there, which I think is great for the recovery process,
1: yeah, and I think sometimes yeah. people forget too that like because especially if you struggle with with any addiction issue right, like you forget that like. Not everything revolves around drugs and alcohol. And there's a whole bunch of people out there with interests and hobbies that do not revolve around drugs and alcohol, right? right. And so to yes. know that that experience exists, I think is really important, right? So like you yeah. said, Catherine, like really any anything you might be interested in, go try it, right? If you think you might be interested in art, go to a paint night, see what it's like. If you might be interested in fitness, you know you know, go to the gym, see what happens, like, Mm -hmm. you know, try to put yourself out there. And again, it's an uncomfortable position, right. Um, And it can feel scary and intimidating. But it kind of goes back to that, okay, well, if I don't try this, right. And I've talked about with my clients a lot, it's like grow or die. Right?
0: Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. I think a big part of it is that you have to stop at some point being afraid of pain. Because pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, right? Alcoholics, we love to make ourselves suffer. But like in Strongman, we have this saying, and I think it comes from the military, of embrace the suck. Like get, embrace the pain, get closer to it, dig into it, find out what's going on with it. And like at first, see the reason I, I drank, the reason I drank is to escape the pain and all the stimulation, all the extra shit that was coming at me in life. And it just shut all that down and it helps me like, like finally feel like I had space to breathe. And then when I I got sober, it felt like this rush of experience, this rush of life was just hitting me right in the face. And what I had to do was I had to endure. And this whole idea of being powerless over alcohol, I understand why people have that. And at the beginning, it was useful to me too. But now I'm powerful as shit. Like I'm, there's nothing that can keep me down. I have had horrible things happen to me in my life in sobriety, like really bad shit, like being homeless for three months. And you know what I did? I kept going, and that's what, that's what sobriety gives you, and that's what Strongman gave me, was the ability to, through the most difficult and painful experiences of my life, is to grab hold of it and just dig in and not give up, because if I can walk around with 500 pounds on my back, I can do anything else. You can't scare me anymore, and that's what exercise, that's what Strongman gave me. Like, alcohol doesn't scare me anymore. I'm stronger than it. And and I know that many people may think that's like arrogant, um, but it's the it's the perspective that works for me.
1: Yeah. Everybody's
0: think, go ahead, Anika. Sorry. Yeah, I, I
2: think that that's important,
1: right? And so, like, yes, the, what I like to think about is the the paradox of being powerless that turns into powerful, right? Mm-hmm. And so, eventually, it's the paradox of okay, I I admitted that I was powerless, but now I realize that I have all this additional power I was not recognizing before, right? And I love that. I love when people get to that place that they're like, oh, hell, yeah, I'm going to kick some ass now because, like, I know my worth and I know what I can do in life. Right. Like and I totally value, respect and love myself.
2: Yeah. Well, it's a process. You don't flip a switch and get to that point. You know, I'm reading this book called Radical Acceptance right now by Tara, Tara Brock. I'm Uh sure you've heard of it yeah um there's all these layers to the onion and i think when people are starting off getting sober they think it's just going to be a flip of a switch and like oh life's going to be puppy farts and sunshines and rainbows and to some <laughs> extent it is right
0: and i've heard puppy farts before <laughs> <laughs> cinnamon buns i don't know whatever like... you can stick with puppy... puppy farts it's fine
2: puppy farts are fun <laughs> puppy farts are funny um but people think that's going to be that's what's going to be the case. And, uh, and it's just, and it's just not, um, I don't know where I was going with that. And then you were, cause you broke up a little bit here. Did you, sorry, did, sorry. did I, was that, on, was that probably my rural internet here? Oh, I don't know. But anyway, oh, sorry. My computers you're, you're editing this, right? My computer's yeah. kind of acting up. Okay. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I think in early sobriety, a lot of people have the idea that it's just going to, it's just going to get better, but it takes time and it, time takes time. That's what I've learned the most out of strongman and and sobriety because you add two and a half pounds at a time in strongman. Maybe or you go backwards sometimes, but you can't let yourself stop. You have to keep have to keep going.
0: Uh, well said. I I, I don't want to try and and piggyback on that or add anything just because that, that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thank um, you. So how can, how can we, and how can our listeners follow along with your, um, your power lifting career? Oh, like, yeah. There... I will...
2: Oh, good. Sorry.
0: Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, like, is there a website that we can follow or something like that where we can do all that?
2: Yeah. I'm all over Instagram. All you have to okay. do is look up at KB lifts. So it's K-A-Y-B-E-E lifts, like lifts heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do this professionally. I don't make any money off of it. I post a bunch of inspirational videos for people who are, who are looking for sober inspiration, who are looking for weightlifting inspiration. And then you can, you can watch all the competitions. Also all the folks that I'm plugged in with on Instagram, like almost all my friends are strongman competitors too. So you can take a look at the friends list and get some, (laughs) get some really good inspiration from that as well. Um, I hope to be competing in August, depending on if my foot heals um, for the strongman corporation uh, qualifiers in Virginia. Uh, but okay. aside from that, I will be, I will be competing before the end of the year, I think, um, in Chicago. So just stay tuned.
0: Okay. Doesn't, yeah. uh, I, I remember watching like the strongman competitions on ESPN. Do you, do you, have you ever had any interactions with any of those guys? Like, uh, like have you ever, yeah. uh, what's, what's that, what's that guy's name? The big, the big bald guy.
2: Half Thor or Eddie, Hall. That guy's
0: a beast, not Eddie Hall, not, not, not Thor. That guy's a beast. Both of those guys are beasts. He's got the the, the, the goatee. Nick Best? He- no. Oh, what's um, his name? The
2: guy from Colorado, Brian Shaw?
0: Yes, yes. Have you ever have you met him?
2: No, he lives just over the mountains and usually hosts an event, but everything's been canceled from COVID, and I've been, mm. I've been trying to get over to his contest, and unfortunately, everything's been shut down for COVID. So Damn. I do have a goal. I would love to meet him. Good guy.
0: Yeah, I I, I follow him on Instagram, and uh, you know I've I've watched a couple of the strongman documentaries on uh, on on Netflix and all those things, and he seems like a very down to earth guy. So uh, yeah. I just think it's so crazy how like when you see like these big crazy looking guys with all these muscles, and then you look at their wives and their ch- like they can. <laughs> they can literally palm their 5-year-old's head like a basketball you know well, yeah,
2: and you should see there's a youtube video where Brian Shaw goes up against his wife in like a pound for pound lifting contest like they do a ratio of and she kicks his butt like yeah. she can do she's pound for pound like has more endurance has but he just happens to be huge and ratio-wise he just he picks up more
0: you know it's pretty wild yeah. Math moves uh, math. <laughs>
2: <laughs> is, there,
0: is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before, um, before we go? Like any last yeah. words, anything like that?
2: Yeah, like sobriety, sobriety is hard. like, okay, life is hard. Sobriety is hard, but it's fucking worth it. Okay, like it's worth it because there's so much joy and power and light. And wouldn't you rather experience life full force and mm-hmm. get every like instead of through some kind of fuzzy filter? For me, this has been like sobriety is the thing I'm most proud of in my life. And I've got a lot of accomplishments. I've got trophies at the yin yang and medals and shit. Right? Mm-hmm. But sobriety is the thing that if I don't stay sober today, I don't get any of that it's the underpinning of my entire existence at this mm-hmm. point. And so so I I just want to say like gratitude I have so much gratitude for that and I really really hope that folks who are considering sobriety as a possible alternative to the way they're living now you know just seize hold of that of that desire to live.
0: I think you are you are doing an amazing job at setting a really good example for just for the sober the sober community, especially women in the sober community, and just keep doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah, it's it's really and, amazing, and it's it's been a pleasure having you on today. You know,
0: and I, we I are definitely is awesome. We are definitely going to follow you and throughout your entire strong woman career, and <laughs> you know, yeah. So just keep it up.
2: Thank you. It's been an absolute treat to hang out with you all today, and I really mm-hmm. appreciate all your time. This is
0: fun. Uh, Hmm. All right. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. All right. So that's all we have for this episode. For more information on Catherine, check out her Instagram profile, which is at KB lifts, K-A-Y-B-E-E lifts. Or just click the link in the episode bio, shoot her a follow and show her some love. Tell her the Sober Highway sent you. If you enjoyed the content today, Anika and I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the podcast. And leave us a five-star review on all of the major podcasting platforms. I'm talking Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Also, please make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms. On Facebook, just search The Sober Highway. On Instagram, search at The Sober Highway underscore. Please, please, please don't forget that underscore, people. On the TikTok app, just search at The Sober Highway. And on Twitter, just go to twitter.com slash The Sober Highway. Uh, If you want, you can DM us with any questions that you would like us to answer on the podcast, or if you feel that you have any information that you think would be beneficial for us or our listeners to have. Catch you next week. Bye! located so i live on we both live on long island
2: okay i'm gonna tell you something that will probably surprise you and okay. it is that the best people in my whole life that i've ever met my best bosses the best people i've ever worked with
0: my best friends have all come from long island
2: oh that's so like, weird you know
0: i think the we're gonna best clip that people
2: on the planet
0: we're gonna clip that because a lot of <laughs> because a lot of people do not have nice things to say about people from long Island.
2: I love that. No, I've never been there, but I love the people that I've met outside of Long Island who are from there, so I can't, so maybe uh, there's a difference between those populations, let's be fair, but okay. I but I do, I I love how y'all are street shooters, like, I'm not very good at picking up social cues, I need that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll, we'll, tell you, we'll tell you how it is, for sure. Yeah,
2: it's my favorite. Annika, are you, you're from there as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm from um, Long Island as well, um, you know, it's funny because I, when you're saying like, oh, they're so, they're so nice. And I'm thinking in my head, I don't know if I'd say that everybody from here is very nice. I probably would actually no, have some other things def- to say.
0: Definitely not. Um, well, it's, we, it's, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say like people from Long Island can be very nasty.
2: Yeah, but they're but it's not like the people that I've met aren't vicious. They're just direct. And I think people yeah. are the most or on the west coast like they're so chill they're just like oh it's okay whereas I like the Long Islanders because you all just get right to the point like which some mm-hmm. people perceive as being rude mm-hmm. again I love it I love it like the best bosses the people that helped me develop the most professionally came from Long mm-hmm. Island good good people yeah